Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. When we talk about the pursuit of humanity, I would have to say that all of us are in search of pleasure. We want pleasure and we want to minimize pain. But what happens when we become addicted to numbing through pleasure-seeking? My next guest has been working with clients around the world doing just that. We are talking about all bets are off, losers, liars, and recovery from the gambling addiction. Arnie Wexler is one of the most foremost experts on the subject of compulsive gambling, and he has been involved in helping compulsive gamblers for over 48 years. He has appeared on many of America's top television shows, including Oprah, Nightline, and 48 Hours. He has been quoted and profiled in hundreds of magazines and newspapers. He runs a national hotline for problem gamblers, and Arnie has presented workshop and training seminars around the world. He has trained over 40,000 casino employees and executives and has worked with gaming companies to help formulate responsible gaming programs. Welcome, Arnie. Thanks for joining us. Boy, it's a pleasure to, to be with you, and I appreciate that nice introduction. Thank you. Well, it is all you, my dear. It is all you. Let's talk about, about gambling and, and, and how it usually starts off. Because it can be quite fun, right? <clears throat> well, I started gambling when I was seven or eight years old. It was flipping baseball cards, shooting marbles, pitching pennies, and playing pinball machines. <clears throat> At 14, I went to the racetrack for the first time in my life. And I was making 50 cents an hour after school. And I won $54. And that day was Memorial Day in 1951. And it changed my life. What it said to me was, what a jerk I was to make 50 cents an hour. I could be a millionaire from gambling. Look how easy this is. And I was hooked in. 
Yeah. There it was. How long did you gamble before you received help? Well, uh, a little history going to that point. I went out with two girls before I met my wife, and I took them both to the racetrack, and I lost both times. So I was totally convinced that girls were bad luck. And (laughs) And then I met my wife, and she was 18 and I was 21, or 20, she was 16 and I was 21. And at 18 and 23, we got married. Our first date was to the movies, and the next couple of hundred dates were to a racetrack, a sporting event I had a bet on, or a Las Vegas night, or something having to do with gambling. And I thought that the best place to get a honeymoon would be Las Vegas, and my wife already understood that I had a problem much before I did. And she said, no, we're not going to Las Vegas. Well, I knew there were two casinos in uh, two casinos in uh, Puerto Rico, so I wanted to go to Puerto Rico. And she said, no, we're not going to Puerto Rico because the casinos in Puerto Rico, the travel agent had told her that. So then the next thing we took was Bermuda. So there was supposedly no gambling in Bermuda, but I found the racetrack there anyways. The other thing that developed was that there was a jar of jelly beans on the hotel lobby, and in the jar of jelly beans it said you could win a free trip to New York. Well, we had tickets going back to New York, so I didn't need to go to New York anyways. But the first three days of our honeymoon, I spent more time with the jelly bean jar than with my wife. Oh, my. So when we talk about how gambling addiction or any addiction, for that matter, affects the family dynamic, I'm assuming you're with that wife still. All these years later. We still are. We went through seven years of horror. And, uh, well, actually, she went through seven years of horror. But we're still together. Talk a little bit about the effect upon the family, on your wife and the family. Well, things got so bad that nothing else mattered in my life except placing a bet. I mean, even to the point that... Even to the point of there was no food in the refrigerator. I one time sold a car for five, $500 because I had to uh, pay a bookmaker at night. That night, on a Monday night, the bookmaker said, you owe me $500, you can't place a bet. Well, it was more important for me to place a bet than anything else. So I had a Chevy Impala that was a year old and had 10,000 miles on it. I sold it for $500 so I can give the bookmaker so I can place a bet, and I was sure I could win it back. I had my wife so totally crazy that there were times that she would beg me not to leave, and I would just step over her and go out to go gamble. And did you have a day job at that point as well? I'm sorry? Did you have a day job at that point? I was a plant manager supervising four and 500 people. I was stealing from the company every day. I was doing all kinds of illegal acts. I was sending people to bookmakers, and they were giving me a kickback. I was doing illegal stuff in the stock market, and there was no computers in those days. So it was a horrible life for those first seven years that we were married. It, it sounds like it. It sounds like it. Um, the deceit and and the the lies and and sort of the manipulation of of your life because you were really you were actually gaming with your life, right? You had to sort of move things around to make everything seem that it was okay. You explained it so perfectly. I don't think I could add anything to that. It was exactly like that. 
I mean, I would come home, pick a fight with my wife, start a whole commotion, and say, boy, I can see you're in a bad mood. I'm out of here. Yeah. And then at the end, the last couple of years, I would call her on the phone. So it made my life a little easier. I call her on the phone and leave my job and go right to the racetrack. I'd have the fight on the phone, and I would say, you're in a lousy mood. I'm not coming home. And then, of course, as I left the racetrack or wherever I was gambling, I'd cry all the way home and say, I'm never going to do this again. And the next morning, it started over again. I couldn't stop gambling. The gambling owned me to the point that nothing else really mattered in my life except gambling. And let's talk for a minute about how the gambling takes over and becomes the addiction, because in the throes of, of gaming, of placing the bet, there there is a thrill and a temporary pleasure spike, just like any other addiction. Absolutely. You know, that first time I, I had that big win of $54, it turned out it owned me to the point that I, I thought, gee, my life was going to be wonderful because I was going to make a lot of money from gambling. And I really bought into that idea, and that's what happened to me. I was totally hooked in it at age 14, like I said. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And every time you begged, borrow, or stole another $25, you would think you'd go on this big winning streak and get everything back and win a lot of money. You know, I'm, normal people. Ar- Arnie, I'm going to have to pause you for a second because the dog in the background is really a detraction. So if the dog can walked, get, I just walked get, out in the street. Somebody came oh. to visit my wife. Ah, uh, okay. So All right. Walking, Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. So we'll pick it up. Um, we'll pick it up from um, the, the the borrowing the twenty five dollars or placing the twenty five dollar bet. Go ahead. I, if you if you're a compulsive gambler and I went through this every time that I had you have such hope that the next day you're going to have the big win and your life is going to turn around. So if I could beg, borrow, or steal twenty five dollars, I would think to myself that now I can go on a winning streak and life is going to be great and wonderful. And I went through that almost every couple of weeks. We're going to go to a break in a couple of minutes, but before we do, I want to ask you about the moment you knew you had to stop. (laughs) That's very interesting because the guy came to, I was the plant manager, like I said, and the guy came to work in my place and they hired him as an efficiency expert and somebody told me he was a millionaire. So I befriended the guy believing that this guy was going to bail me out. And for six months, him and I became very good friends. And as usual, the dream of every gambler is you're going to have a big win or you're going to get bailed out. So I went to this guy after six months, and I said, Jerry, I need, he said, yeah, I've been watching you. He said, you need to go to Gamblers Anonymous because they're going to help you straighten out your life. And Uh that's what happened. What happened was I went to a 12-step program, and the fact is that I went there only because he said the magic words that they will straighten out your life, and I thought that meant they were going to pay off my gambling debts. And that was the only reason why I never really went for help, and I never intended to get help. I just thought that I could uh, make a big win and continue gambling once somebody would straighten out my, my debts that I owed. So I Uh never really went to stop gambling. And that was February 12, 1968. And on April 10, 1968, 
I decided that I still could gamble normally, quote, unquote, and I ended up betting opening day of the 1968 baseball season. That was my last bet. I lost the game in the bottom of the ninth inning. Wow. Well, you, your story is incredible, and the book that you've written, All Bets Are Off, Losers, Liars, and Recovery from Gambling Addiction, can be found online and wherever books are sold. Uh, my guest today is Arnie Wexler, and we're talking about Addicted to Numbing through Pleasure Seeking. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll carry on the conversation with Arnie Wexler. To learn more, please visit him at aswexler.com, and at Twitter, you can find him at Arnie. 410. 410 being that birthday, right, Arnie? Uh, you know what? I don't even remember what that was for. Actually, I'm, I'm really not on Twitter, to be honest with you. <laughs> Here I'm come not. the tunes. We'll be right back. Wait, wait, wait. Before we head off to the break, I want to mention one of my greatest joys, and that is to learn something new. It's true. Research indicates that lifelong learning helps improve mood and brain functioning. And with the Great Courses Plus video learning services, I'm exercising my mind and my passionate curiosity by pursuing subjects that make me happy. These are engaging video lectures presented by award-winning experts on thousands of topics, psychology, history, art, music, even how to take better photos or learn cooking techniques. Whether you are a beginner or seasoned hobbyist, there is a great course with your name on it just waiting for you. Stream lectures on your schedule from the comfort of wherever you are. Start and pick up again at any time from your smartphone, tablet, laptop, or TV. I highly recommend The Science of Mindfulness, a research-based path to well-being, taught by Harvard psychologist Dr. Ron Siegel, who explores ancient wisdom traditions and modern science to explain how practicing mindfulness positively affects the structure and function of our brains. Personally, I love Dr. Siegel's charisma, wit, and entertaining teaching style that explains how and why mindfulness decreases patterns of negative thinking, reduces stress, and improves our overall well-being. I also appreciated his reminder that the only guarantee in life is change. And here's a great perk for listeners of Harvesting Happiness. You can start watching this course or any other at The Great Courses Plus for free today. You will get one free month of unlimited access when you sign up using my special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash happiness. Sign up now at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash happiness. Once again, that's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash happiness. We'll be right back, and that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. 
one thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about the human pursuit of pleasure. Why are we so addicted to numbing? My guest has written a book entitled All Bets Are Off. Losers, Liars, and Recovery from Gambling Addiction. And Arnie Wexler, the author of this book and my guest, has been in recovery since 1968 from a gambling addiction. He now serves to educate and help others who are in the same spot as he once was. Arnie, prior to the break, we talked about um, how you stopped, that you, uh, you admired somebody at work who was going to help you get your life together. You thought that it was really about just paying off debts, but it was a um, a Gamblers Anonymous group, I believe, and that's how it started for you. That is correct. And it, uh, on top of that, it took me six or seven or eight more months to really believe that I wanted to stop and to straighten out my life. But when I came for help and they weren't bailing me out, they told me I needed two more jobs. So I worked three jobs for four years to pay off all the gambling debts I owed. I owed three years annual salary by the time I stopped gambling at age 30. Wow. And talk a little bit about Gamblers Anonymous and why these kinds of 12-step tradition programs are so successful in supporting people to quit whatever it is that they're addicted to. Well, let's say it's a 12-step group uh, to help compulsive gamblers. Turns out that a compulsive gambler thinks they have all the answers because I've never met a stupid compulsive gambler. They're usually people with high levels of energy. They can get to the top of their field. They're people that uh, have a great life going on until the gambling hooks them, and then they destroy their whole life. And the idea of compulsive gamblers is group setting helps people with addiction more than anything else. But if people need treatment, there are treatment facilities available. But the the idea of going to a group and, and receiving support, this is what I have come to know after years of doing addiction recovery work, is probably one of the most potent or powerful tools for recovery because you get connection, you get empathy, you get people who understand where you have once been and you know what the future could look like. Well, the real key to helping people that have an addiction is that they, uh, how you recover is you stick your hand out to help other people. And that's really the key. The people that come to a 12-step group for any addiction, if they're helping other people, then they have a great shot to stay in re- to get in recovery and stay in recovery. The people that don't leave the program after a while and they come back and nobody comes back in better shape. I mean, yeah. I've seen people come back after 20 and 30 years destroyed their life or they're coming out of jail or going into jail. 
And, and the element of service, you know, when you re- when you reach your hand out to help somebody else, and I think that is definitely a very, very powerful form of medicine. But I think it's also turning the attention from, you know, isolation, separation, disconnection, and me, 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 and placing it firmly on about life about others, you know, community. You're 100% on target. I mean... The way you're explaining this whole thing is just unbelievable. I've done a lot of media shows from Oprah to Howard Cosell to you name it, but you nailed this thing pretty good. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for talking about something that is hidden for so many, because we often look at addiction as a, a substance that is either prescribed or or um, obtained illicitly. Gambling is 100% legal, right? It's If you're over 18, you can walk into a casino or any gaming environment and place your bet, like like drinking, right? Well, but it's, it's, not, a, it's not an illegal 21. drug. Some places 18, some places 21. But the real test is, this is, yeah, and I, this was gonna be my next thing I was gonna talk about. I'm amazed that you brought it up like you did. The fact is that this is a hidden addiction. There's no smell, there's no track marks, there's no dilated pupils. I've gotten calls on my hotline, 888-LAST-BED, from, uh, here's a, a typical call. Lady calls up and she says, my husband's a gambler, he got arrested for stealing 600000 from the insurance company he works for. How long are you married? She says, 33 years. When did you find out he had a problem? When he got arrested. And it can be that cohesive that a gambler cannot, a spouse of a gambler or relative will not know there's a problem at all. Wow. But there are, are there any telltale signs? You know, are there any, I mean, are there any inklings that we can look for with somebody who has a compulsive gambling problem? Because it is so hidden. Are there always um, cash flow issues? Are there hours in the day that are unaccounted for? What, what are some signs that we should be aware of? Well, there's really not too many signs. If the gambler's smart enough and they're not too locked into their addiction and they lose their brain, because I, I talk about something called broken brains. At the end, it's broken brains. You can't even think properly. But during the time that the gambler is in their action and they're not in the desperation phase, they can get away with a lot of stuff. They have the mail sent to to their factory or the place where they work. Uh, The wife doesn't receive mail or the spouse doesn't receive mail or family member to know anything that's going on. It's not like an alcoholic or a drug addict. When they come home, you could see it or smell it. And the gamblers are pretty sharp. I remember taking loans from banks and having them send it to my office where I worked. My wife had no idea until one bank by mistake sent it to the house, and she said, what is this all about? At one point, my boss gave me 500 shares of stock that was worth $14, and it went up to $72. My wife thought we had a ton of money, and I already had it all sold, and and I was using it to pay off gambling debts. You know, I think it's important to also mention that gambling takes many forms, that it's not necessarily the traditional gaming that occurs in a casino or at the racetrack or in an off-track betting environment, but many of us are partnered with people who gamble with our lives. They are real estate developers, they're playing the stock market, there are other forms of gambling that may not be as recognized. Wow, you throw that in. 
Uh, I've seen many people come to me for help calling on the hotline or getting to me on the email, spouses of gamblers, real estate guys, just like you say, stock market people, people that have done some outrageous things, business gamblers. I know one guy that's had 30 businesses in the last 20 some odd years and all of them go down the tubes and he just keeps borrowing money and more business and more business and more business. And there are those kind of gamblers around. Now, the other thing that's going on today, you got the Internet gambling. So you got people that in their birthday suit in the middle of the night can go to the computer and blow everything while the spouse or family member sleeping and have no idea. Wow. You know, you're you're, you're right. And this is uh, really speaking to the nature of addiction, that when it takes hold, what's going on in the brain, you know, this desire to completely feed the, the brain and the body with dopamine, um, it, it is really hard to fight. And because this is so hidden, and I would say, probably very shameful for those who are in it. Well, see, that's the other thing. When, when I stopped gambling in 1968, there were only three women that were attending a 12-step program for compulsive gambling. Today, about 40 to 55, 50% of the people seeking help are females. They're slot players, they're internet gambling, and the shame and the stuff like that is so bad because everybody today in America looks at a drug addict, not everybody, but most people look at drugs and alcoholics and they say they're sick people. They look at gamblers and say they're crooks. The last three cases I testified for in court were all three women. And the women had embezzled money because of their gambling addiction. One got five years, one got 10 years, and one got 17 years. And the judge said, one of the classic cases, the judge says to the, to the gambler, if you knew you had a problem, why don't you stop? Well, it's not that easy. And the fact is that the lady that got five years got 25 years probation, which means once she gets out of jail after five years, in that 25-year period, if she gets a parking ticket, she could end up back in jail. Yeah, this is a this is a terrible uh, problem in the United States and probably other places as well. I mean, in, in Asia, for example, gambling is a big thing. I used to spend time in Hong Kong and I used to see women on the ferry boat going over to Macau to gamble all day. And then they would come home at night and sort of step back into the family unit. It, it, it's not just a U.S. problem. It's not American. It's global. It, but my wife just told me before I got on the air with you that a friend of ours spent three weeks in Macau, and she was reporting to my wife all the stuff that was going on with the gambling in Macau. Yeah, it's it's big. It's big money, and it's also big risk. Um, we're almost out of time, and I want to touch upon some trainings that you've done because you've worked with Fortune 500 companies, you've worked with government, you've worked on college campuses, but you're doing something uh, unique in that you've also worked with um, NFL and NBA, so the football and, and basketball leagues. And I think this is really important because there is so much gaming going on in athletics. Well, it's a, it's amazing because in 1999, we got a call, we got a call from the NBA. They brought us into New York. We spent a whole day with them, and then the next day they brought my wife up. They flew her up from Florida. We spent another four hours with them. They said they wanted us to speak to all the players about gambling addiction, and it ended up uh, about two weeks later. I got a call from them and said. 
the NBA commissioner, David Stern, said he didn't want to do it. He didn't want the media to find out. And in the NFL training, I did two days of training in Atlanta, Georgia, and in Arizona for them. And ESPN wanted to interview me in Arizona. And after that, they didn't want to do any more training on compulsive gambling. You know, and all these leagues have been against sports betting, and in the last couple of years, they've turned it around and decided, you know what, we want to have sports betting because we want to get a piece of the action. What a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah. And then you have fantasy leagues where young kids are gambling on fantasy games, and the owner of the Dallas Cowboys and the owner of the the Patriots has a piece of that uh, draft kings and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's real hypocrisy today in America. New York closed down DraftKings and the fantasy sports gambling, and now they get 14, 14.5% of the action, and they opened it up again. So, you know, that's wow. what you're living with today. Arnie Wexler, you have been an absolute delight. The book is All Bets Are Off, Losers, Liars, and Recovering from Gambling Addiction. You can also, anybody listening who may have a problem or is challenged by a loved one who is challenged by this problem, please call 888-LAST-BET to get help. And to learn more, you can visit www.aswexler.com. You can find Arnie on Twitter, not so much, at Arnie410. And on Facebook, look him up at Arnie Wexler. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We need to take that break. But before we go, I want to talk with you about the precious real estate that is the shelf space in your bathroom. That's why I'm excited to introduce you to a line of beauty products that's better at multitasking than you are. Kopari. These products will moisturize your skin and hair and smell great too, but without any sulfates, silicones, GMOs, and parabens. Kopari products are made with 100% organic coconut oil. Kopari makes great products like coconut sheer oil, which is light and perfect as a facial moisturizer, a coconut balm for intense soothing and smoothing of super dry skin, a coconut crush scrub that buffs you beautiful, a coconut body glow that gives you a natural all-over shimmer and of course their original coconut melt personally i'm a huge fan of kopari's luscious lip love balm and coconut body oil that i've been using as a hair conditioning treatment i love the way their products smell feel and hydrate my skin and hair from head to toe Kopari is beauty in a nutshell and makes me feel like I'm on a little tropical staycation with each application. Say aloha to the best skin and hair of your life with Kopari. Go to koparibeauty.com slash happiness for 20% off your order. That's Kopari, kopari.com slash happiness for 20% off. Now, here come those tunes. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, 
we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're continuing our conversation about addicted to numbing through pleasure seeking. And my next guest is really uh, involved on a different angle in addiction and gambling, per se. Uh, We're talking with Keith S. White, who is the executive director of the National Council on Problem Gambling, NCPG in Washington, D.C. He has over 20 years experience on gaming issues. Previously, Mr. White served as director of research for the American Gaming Association, where he was responsible for research and public policy issues, including problem gambling. His prior experience includes the American Bar Association's section of individual rights and responsibilities, where he dealt with policy issues. Sorry, uh, scratch that. Let me pick that up again. His prior experience includes the American Bar Association's section of individual I'm tongue-tied this morning. One more time and we've got this. His prior experience includes the American Bar Association's section of individual rights and responsibilities, where he dealt with policy issues relating to civil rights, human rights, health care, and immigration law. He's been recognized widely for his work on responsible gaming and problem gambling policy. Welcome, Keith. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, this is a subject that I think is below the radar for most of us, and um, we are not, as a as a nation, as a culture, really dialed into how problematic and how addictive gambling and gaming can be. That's absolutely right, and so we appreciate this opportunity to talk with you and with your listeners about this um, topic. You know, it does go back uh, even in ancient times. Uh, addiction comes from the Roman word addictus, which is to, to be enslaved. And ancient Romans could be enslaved for gambling debts. So this is something you know, society has been dealing with for a long time, but we've never had in our nation's history so much accessibility to legalized gambling and acceptability of legalized gambling. And, and I think that's coming together to make it uh, quite a, an interesting time for those of us that are dealing with gambling and gambling addiction issues. Agreed. And for people uh, who don't have direct experience uh, of how deeply gambling can affect a person or the family, um, people will often say, oh, you just need to have some self-control. You know, it's just it's just a card game or it's just uh, slot machines or it's just, you know, it's just weekend football. Why can't you just control it? And I think um, this electronic era that this digital era that we are now living in really presents some interesting challenges because of the way gambling taps into the brain. 
Absolutely. And, and in fact, we know that when you look at the brain of, a, of an addicted gambler and you put that person in an MRI machine next to, the, next to a cocaine addict, uh, their brains appear uh, the same. There's, there's damage in the same areas or, or deficiencies, deadening in the same areas, and there's high activation in other areas. So um, neurobiologically, the brains of cocaine addicts and pathological gamblers are almost indistinguishable. So we know that it's not just bad behavior. You know, it's not just someone who's greedy or, or a sinner, as, as, as is often said. It is someone who has a serious um, mental health disorder that has um, either led to or has been caused by uh, serious changes in the brain. And that makes it a lot more than a bad habit. You know, that makes it a you know, serious problem. Well, what's interesting that you just mentioned about a brain on gambling is like a brain on cocaine. And conversely, a brain on cocaine is similar to a brain in love. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So really, it's the, you know, the, the, the body or the brain striving for that extreme dopamine rush, that extreme pleasure uh, place that makes us feel temporarily euphoric. Well, that's right. And to ex extend that metaphor a little bit, a gambler can get that jolt of dopamine, that high, every five seconds. You know, every time the wheel spins on the slot machine, every time, you know, another hand of, of poker is dealt. Uh, but unlike sex, drugs, you know, and, and rock and roll, uh, there's, <laughs> not enough, there's not enough gambling in the world to overdose someone. So you can, you can play, you can stay gambling for 12, 15, 20 hours straight. You know, as long as you've got cash and frankly, as long as you have credit, you can keep gambling over and over again. So your body doesn't have any biological defenses. If you drink too much, you throw up, you pass out. Um, you know, you can't, you can't have sex for 20 hours straight, even sting. Uh, but, you know, gamblers, every, everyday ordinary gamblers can go for <laughs> Sorry, 10, that made me laugh. hours. And it can really be, you know, very psychologically arousing. And then eventually, of course, deadening, numbing. You know, uh, you need more and more gambling to achieve that same high. And that's what we call tolerance. And, and people are familiar with that with drugs and alcohol. Gamblers can develop that same tolerance. Got it. I completely understood. What about <laughs> some of the scientific findings that are helping us improve uh, our understanding of, of, these, these, of these gambling disorders or these addictive disorders, rather? Well, there's some fascinating stuff out there. Um, one, I mentioned the MRI uh, research, the neurobiological research that's showing you know, similarities uh, to, to other addictions. And, uh, and it's important to note the uh, American Psychiatric Association and the DSM-5 now classifies gambling as a non-substance addiction. It's the first and only behavioral addiction that's classified in there. So that the, the scientific research on, uh, on, on the biology and the neurobiology of the brain has helped um, change or improve the categorization of gambling problems in the DSM. But the other thing I, want, I, I wanted to talk about that I think uh, people may find interesting is kind of a reverse finding. So very, very briefly, people that are on Parkinson's medications, um, have, they've been seen um, clinically and research-wise to develop much higher rates of behavioral addictions like gambling problems and compulsive sexual behavior. And so when we really went back and looked at this and a lot of the researchers that, uh, that, that found it, there's now a black box warning on medications like Mirapex for dopamine, for, for Parkinson's, uh, that because you know, there's a, up to 10% of people who take that will develop gambling problems. And so we know, so the good, the good news is, in a way, that if we know that dopamine is such a critical part uh, or component of gambling addiction, uh, because uh, Parkinson's medications boost dopamine, um, it, you know, it, it leads us to think that there's probably some, um, um, some drugs or some other interventions that can help, um, as, as we look at that dopamine level, that can help uh, perhaps reduce gambling behaviors.
Well, it's interesting you say about um, um, other drugs that might help manage the dopamine levels. I mean, what about just lifestyle? I mean, I think that that's one of the most underrated um, curatives or management tools that anybody can can employ. You know, you know, are you getting good exercise? Are you getting good sleep? Are you eating well? Are you getting out in the sunshine? Are you getting enough activity? Um, to uh, release the dopamine in your brain, which oftentimes sedentary people, especially gamblers, are not. That's right, and and they're they're encouraged to stay at the machine. They're encouraged to to be you know there's there's the um, the biology of it, and there's the psychology. You know, they gamblers always feel like they're one bet away from winning everything back. And so the craziest thing they could do, the most irresponsible thing in the brain of addicted gambler, is to stop gambling. You know, because there's already five thousand dollars <laughs> there on the table. And so if you get up and walk away, that's the, that's the only time you know you've lost. If you, if you can push yourself to sit at the table for another hour, you know, you're, back, you're, you're potentially back in the game. Uh, so the, so it's, it's a real, there's some really interesting psychology there, but you're absolutely right, you know, encouraging folks to, uh, to get out and, uh, and, and, and find other activities is one of our biggest um, suggestions. Yeah, and, and because... Uh gambling is done many times in a casino or at a computer or from the smartphone that you hold in your hand. And we can get into that in a minute. This is not exactly done out in the sunshine. So you're, 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 you're not getting vitamin D, you're not getting vitamin C, you're not getting the benefit of being out in nature, which there's been significant research done showing that being out in nature, even for as little as, as 15 or five minutes a day has an impact on our mental health and well-being. Well, and we also know that um, many casinos and gaming environments are designed without any natural light whatsoever. Uh, you know, and, 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 and it is, um, it, again, it's, it's a marketing technique or tool that uh, can uh, lead to ad- adverse consequences for uh, some people, especially people that are at risk or prone to addiction. And when we talk about um, how these uh, gaming environments are designed, I think that brings uh, the big question is, are our brains being hijacked by the way um, casinos and software are being created that lure us in and, and suck us in and it makes it very, very hard to get out of the loop because of what the brain chemistry is doing? I think it's very clear that gambling is hard on the brain. And, and we say that for a number of reasons. One, um, the, the computational um, energy required to just to determine odds and, and to do things like randomness and regression to the mean. You know, this is, this is some higher math. We've, there was actually a fascinating study that found even math, graduate math students, when sitting in, in, at a poker table, uh, were not better able to calculate odds and uh, probability than the average, the average person. So even having a master's uh, degree in math doesn't really protect you from some of the uh, randomness and some of the intricacies of uh, gambling. You know, we, we, there's a lot of survival strategies that have been baked into our brain for thousands and thousands of years uh, are either can be flipped against us or don't uh, tend to advantage our behavior when you're in a gambling environment. I have never heard that term before, that gambling is hard on the brain, but I'm going to be reusing it <laughs> with credit to you. <laughs> um, let's, uh, uh, we're going to go to a break in a minute, but before we do, I want to um, touch upon responsible gaming. And when we come back from the break, we'll carry on the discussion. But we all know what that means but what is it really, responsible gaming? It's like responsible drinking or responsible drug taking, you know? 
It's a great term. It's a great question. And, and the term of art is very challenging because just telling someone to gamble responsibly without giving them any other information doesn't really do much. And so there's a long conversation to be had with the industry, with gamblers, with our educational system about how to really teach people what gambling responsibly means. And we need to do a much better job of it than we're doing now. Uh, well, we're going to go to the break, but before we do, uh, one more thing. And this is about um, many years ago, I used to do business in Hong Kong, and I went to Macau uh, on business one day in the morning. Oh, yeah. and I think it was a Friday, and I saw all these little ladies on the the <laughs> the ferry boat on the jet foil going over there, mm-hmm. and I didn't understand what it was. I knew Macau was a was a gaming capital, um, and someone explained to me that these women start their Fridays. They go over to the casino. They spend the whole day. They 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 hopefully win, and then they come home and they sh- and they share uh, their prizes with their families. And I thought it was such an interesting phenomenon because it's not one that we see here, although we see it in the form of these like bus junkets to Vegas or out to the tribal gaming um, environments. There are some fascinating cultural differences and cultural nuances with gambling worldwide. Uh, I'll be in I'll be in Hong Kong and, and Japan uh, next month, and uh, we're we're really learning a lot about what is the same biologically, you know, the roots of this addiction, but um, culturally and psychologically, they're fascinating and massive uh, differences. Oh, and maybe we can touch upon that. We're going to go to the break. To learn more about Keith White's work, please go to www.ncpgambling.org. And on Twitter, you can find him and his organization at ncpgambling. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. And we will carry on the conversation about gaming and addiction. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappyatharvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on. Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast because sharing is caring. And the work that we do over here is kind, free, legal. And we're talking about something really important. We're talking about addiction. We're specifically focusing on gambling, which is one of the lesser publicized kinds of addictions 
nonetheless, it is one that is very, very important to have the conversation about because it involves not only the gambler, him or herself, but the impact it has on the family. And and it can be a, a financial disaster for someone who is addicted. And I'm speaking today with Keith S. White, who is the executive director of the National Council on Problem Gambling, NCPG, located in Washington, D.C. Prior to the break, we were talking about, we began to talk about some of the cultural differences in gamblers around the world, um, Asia, Hong Kong specifically, and Macau being one that we sort of tapped into. But Keith, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the differences um, in cultures around the world, because people like to gamble. It's a great stress reliever. It's great fun for many. Absolutely. And it's really important to note that the mass, vast majority of people who gamble are able to do so without harm. They're able to, they're able to gamble for recreation. Uh, they may lose a little. They may win a little bit. But it's not, you know, it's not psychologically damaging or financially damaging uh, to their health. You know, so we're really talking about a fairly small percentage. But the fascinating thing for us is that it's a relatively constant percentage around the globe. Uh, so when you look at, at Hong Kongers, um, you know, roughly 2% would meet criteria for serious gambling problems, which is about the same here in the United States, which also mirrors the rate in places like Canada, Australia, the UK. So, so it's a fairly constant. And I think, again, that shows that this is deeper than just psychology or culture, you know, whether or not you've got a lot of casinos or little casinos. It's a fairly constant thing. But we also know that there are, when you, when you, you know, culture does have a difference. So when you look at Asian immigrants in the United States, first and second generation, their rates of gambling addiction are double or even triple that of, of the general population. And so, in, in, but that may be things like language barriers, stress of immigration, acculturation. Many of them uh, have had trauma. So uh, it's, it's, it, there are shifting patterns of, uh, of, of problems. And, and again, gambling may be a maladaptive coping mechanism. It's a good coping mechanism for a lot of people, but for some people it can become uh, far, far worse than the problem they're trying to avoid. Uh, understood. Let's talk a little bit about the the subtle kinds of gaming that we engage in, because they're the obvious, you know, the Vegas um, sort of razzle dazzle gaming. But there are other more quiet and hidden forms. Well, probably the most popular form of gambling among uh, Americans is lottery. And uh, many, many lottery players uh, do not think of themselves as gambling. Yeah, they think of gambling as something going uh, to, um, uh, you know, going out to Vegas. But, uh, of course, uh, when you're playing the lottery, you are, you're, you're putting money at risk on an uncertain outcome. Uh, frankly, there's people we see in treatment who have been uh, gambling in the stock market. Uh, you know, acting in ways, you know, so your, your regular weekly card game may not be uh, very risky, but it is certainly gambling, as is playing the lottery, buying a raffle for your child's uh, sports team, uh, you know, engaging in a wide variety of activities where there's prize, chance, and consideration uh, technically uh, is, is gambling. And you mentioned the stock market. I think that's another one that we don't often think of as gambling. It is gambling. And, and I was married to a commercial real estate developer. That was most certainly gambling. <laughs> that's right. Well, and I think <laughs> we're more likely to take risks. You know, I think we're, we, we tend to be entrepreneurial. I mean, I think there's, there's seeds of this in our DNA uh, that, that help make us, you know, a great country. I mean, it makes us more likely to take risks. And, and I think that's, that's great. It's just that we have to sort of balance that. Um, you know, the risks you take at work may be a little bit different uh, than the risks you take uh, at the Greenfelt table. And as gambling becomes more accessible, as it becomes more acceptable, more and more people start to gamble. They start to gamble at higher stakes, and they may uh, you know, be at, for, at greater risk 
for the kinds of addiction. Uh, it's, it's transferring that, that you know, weekly poker game to losing $1,000 uh, hand um, at, at, your, at your local casino. You know, so you're still playing poker, but you've shifted your risk dramatically. Let's talk about the virtual green felt table, because this is what I see in my own practice with younger people coming in with, well, it's poly substance abuse, you know, gambling being one, and then there's other stuff going on, alcohol or drugs. But the lure of being able to game right from the phone or from the tablet or from the computer and that it's hidden. It does. Well, and it also makes uh, high-speed, high-stakes gambling available 24 hours a day, 365 days a week in a way that's never been um, possible before. And so it's a lot more accessibility. Uh, and, and many of these uh, online games or apps, uh, frankly, are not advertised as gambling. So you may be able to – you can download most of the popular social casino games. They're only rated T for teen. Uh, yet, if you read the terms and conditions, you're, you're playing a, a, a gambling game, whether for real money or virtual money, uh, but it's not regulated as such. You know, it's, it, the con- terms and conditions say it's 21, uh, but, you, but the app is only rated T for teen. So Americans last year lost $2 billion on free social casino games that are free to play. And uh, many of them, I think, are probably people that uh, are gambling on those games. Uh, we have Daily yeah. Fantasy as well. And that's a whole uh, another um, gambling type activity that's not regulated as such. But certainly we know there's a lot of gambling that goes on among daily fantasy players. So let's talk about that. And, and, and should it be regulated? Should government have a role in regulation of these kinds of things? Or do we need greater education of the public so they can make informed um, good decisions or both? Oh. We would certainly say both, but I think you, you touched on a very important point in that it is not solely the responsibility of the casino or certainly solely of the government uh, to, to engage in responsible gaming. They've got a role, and an important role, because they offer and or profit from a, an, addic- an addictive product. And certainly in the United States, it's long been held that, that products that are dangerous uh, you know, deserve some oversight and need some oversight to help protect the public. But again, informed player choice is the principle, the hallmark of our educational efforts. We want to make sure that just like we've done with alcohol over the last 20 years, uh, even young kids are being taught that, you know, this is a potentially harmful thing. It's only, it's only for adults. You know, there's, there's health risks to engaging in, in what, you know, a sip of alcohol may seem innocuous. You know, buying a lottery ticket may seem innocuous to a kid, but it can plant the seeds for problems uh, down the line. And therefore it is regulated and, 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 you know, because we were trying to minimize the harm, you know, we can never eliminate harm. And obviously people are, are going to be free to make choices. We want them to make more informed choices uh, and, and help minimize uh, the risk and help minimize the, uh, the, the danger. Well, I think there's another topic, too, that is really interesting, and that is um, brain development. When you have a young person and you're exposing him or her, when their brains are forming at an impressionable age, does it impact how the wiring um, is connected that can make them um, predisposed to substance abuse or or gambling or addiction later in life. And that's probably a whole other show. But I I do want to talk about what a good recovery looks like and how somebody should get help if they or someone that they love um, looks as though they're having a problem with with, uh, gambling. 
That is a very important point in that help and hope is absolutely available and that we know that the recovery rates for people who've undergone uh, a course of therapy or who've stayed in Gamblers Anonymous for, for more than a year uh, are roughly 60-65%. So just about two-thirds of people who have serious gambling problems that, have, that get help and stick with it uh, report not gambling uh, at, at, at follow-up. So, I mean, those, that's an enormously uh, positive rate. There is a lot of dropout, of course. Uh, there are some unique barriers to gambling and that it's not, uh, treatment is not as available as you'd like. There's far fewer GA meetings, Gamblers Anonymous, than there are Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, for example. And one of the, the other things that, that makes this different than substance abuse, there are a lot of parallels, but there are some differences. And one of the unique things is the role of money. You can tell yep. someone has a drinking problem <laughs> to stay out of the bar and to not hang out with friends who drink and, you know, not have alcohol at home. You can't tell a problem gambler not to have money. And even if, the, even if you do, even if you cut off all their access to cash and credit cards, um, they're still gambling on credit. They can still go back to that local bookie and say, hey, I need 10 dimes on the Dallas Cowboys tonight. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is a challenge. Very, and so Gamblers Anonymous is the, the tried and true go-to place. Um, I know that people who have gambling challenges uh, sometimes will just go to AA because that's all that's available. The idea is to connect, to get help, to reach out, to um, have a sense of community and and get into the own our own personal reasons and motivators of what drives us to these compulsive behaviors. That's right. Yeah, you know, any uh, and it's it's you know trite, but almost any help is better than not doing anything at all than trying to white knuckle it. Uh, but yeah, we certainly recommend that people get specialty help. They can go through our website to find people that are certified in gambling. But right, if there's not a GA meeting near you, go to AA. You know, if you, you should talk to someone, talk to a mental health professional or a counselor, even if they're not specialized in gambling, and hopefully they'll do the right thing and either educate themselves or they'll refer you on to someone that does have the specialty. But there is. There is hope and help available and that we know that the recovery rates are, are fantastic. And I think, as, as you mentioned earlier, one of the hardest challenges for addicts and any addict is finding something to replace that behavior, positive, healthy behavior that replaces um, what was causing you trouble before. We are out of time. And I want to thank you, Keith White, for being with us. To learn more, please visit www.ncpgambling.org. On Twitter, you can find Keith White at NCP gambling. And here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Arnie Wexler and Keith S. White, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Tokinet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. 
Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.